you join me this morning in the Jude, and I want to begin reading at verse 11, and we will conclude at verse 21. The book of Jude, beginning at verse 11 and concluding at verse 21. Word of the Lord, Jude, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These men are those who are hidden rifts in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubled, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea cast up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved for prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which have done, godly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault. For us, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus that they were saying to us and to you in the last time or days there shall be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. A final warning from Jude is the title of this message, and my concentration will primarily be around verse 20 and 21, for that is Jude's response to the efforts of those who were both false teachers and false prophets, God's people. But a few words before that. Preaching content is a selected choice by the preacher unless otherwise directed to do something different. Some preachers have selected genres of preaching because they feel a certain grasp and ability to convey what their objective is in preaching. However, biblical preaching doesn't permit a selection of a genre to preach. It demands preaching of the whole counsel of the word of God to feel encouraged, to feel good. And you also have to preach those passages which cause people to feel uncomfortable, puzzled, discouraged, frustrated, condemned, and even angry. For that reason, you'll notice preachers don't often preach from certain books in the Bible, such as Leviticus and Lamentations. Nahum or Zephaniah, 
Obadiah, Jude, and Revelations 4 through 22. Notice they only preach through selected passages to avoid the difficult passages that we often find in Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, Obadiah and Zechariah, and the breath and width of Revelation. And some rationalize that people just don't want to hear those kinds of passages that boast of warning instead of blessing, that talk about judgment instead of favor, that have a focused instead of faith, and elimination instead of elevation, and they talk about hell instead of heaven. As some parishioners, you may leave church sometime feeling worse from the sermon than when you came in because what was conveyed was not meant to be a feel-good sermon based on the content of the sermon. Jude happens to be one of those passages that many folk just don't find much to shout about because that's not his intention. His intention is to grab your attention and to spur your alertness and to increase your sensitivity to the word of God and the voice of God. So don't be surprised that I'm going to suggest that you shouldn't expect to feel good from every sermon. But do expect for the sermon to always feel you good because that's what the Holy Spirit does when he is dealing with the word of God. Jude is providing a message that is laced with warning and with anger. It is anger because his listeners, according to Jude, has not yet understand that they are being infiltrated by false teachers and false prophets and apparently, for whatever reason, just do not see that something is wrong in the house. He is providing a warning because the end result is only going to be disaster if they don't discern the severity of the moment. I want to highlight the understanding that you don't warn people in reference to destruction and deception and death with a soft voice. Instead, you don't need, you neither do you sing melodies when a spiritual cancer is attempting to distress or destroy the spiritual body. You got to sound the alarm with force and with sternness and with power and sometimes with anger. In this passage of Jude, we have a thorough example of a warning. And once again, you notice I keep underscoring, it's a warning about false teachers and false prophets and their disciples who are out to detour the people of God from their blessings of being obedient unto God. In fact, Jude once again tells us in verse 3 that he would prefer to have written about the common salvation. And by that he means, I wish I could have written to tell you about how good God is and how blessed that I am and how I'm too anointed to be disappointed and I'm too blessed to be stressed and I got too much praise to be phased, but that's not 
what the letter is about. Instead, he argues there's something more urgent at hand. That's the reason why I say every time you come to church, don't expect for the sermon to make you feel good because it's not always meant to make you feel good, but it's meant to fill you with the goodness of God's word, even if that means it's a warning in the text. Notice he spends the next 18 verses warning his audience about false teaching and false teachers. I can't help to tell you that repeatedly again. It's about false teachers and false teaching. He uses verses 8, verses 5 through 9 to inform that God will judge those who constantly and deliberately work against his word by providing for us the three examples I talked about on last Sunday. He talks about the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and yet the death of an entire generation who dies in the wilderness because they exercise unbelief. He talks about the angels that he judged and he, in simple terms, relegated them to the eternal death and eternal damnation until their time of judgment because they followed Satan in his fall from the heavens. And then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah whose sexual perversion doomed not only their city, but all of the cities that surrounded them as well. And then in verse 10, he says that these false teachers act out like the act of animals who work off of instinct instead of the inspiration and instruction of the Spirit of God. Then in verse 11, he says, beginning an entire different section, he identifies the characteristics of false teachers, but I want you to highlight in your Bible, notice the opening three words that Jude has to his listeners in verse 11. That is, woe to them. Woe to them. That term woe is always succeeded by a warning of future judgment or stern rebuke. And I know that somebody probably is not going to believe what I'm telling them about this word woe, so I think I had to give you some Bible so you would know that I'm not trying to pull your leg, nor am I trying to drag you along the way that you will not know exactly what God's word is talking about. Listen to the word woe. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 1, hear the prophet. Woe to the rebellious children, declared the Lord, who execute a plan that is not mine and make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 31 in verses 1 through 5. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on their horses and trust in their chariots because they have many and in the horsemen because they're very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. In other words, God is warning, woe to them who look for security in everywhere else and everybody else but me who think that their rescue can come at the hands of anybody else but the God of their salvation. Isaiah 33, verse 1. Woe to you, 
destroyer while you were not destroyed and he who is treacherous while others did not deal treacherously with him as soon as you finish destroying you will be destroyed yourself that's not me that's God listen to God in Jeremiah 23 and in verses 1 and 2 Jeremiah 23 verses 1 and 2 woe to the shepherds the pastors those who are responsible for, pe for feeding the people of God woe to those shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture therefore says the Lord of Israel concerning those shepherds who are tending my sheep you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended them behold I am about to attend to you for your evil deeds declares the Lord of hosts. And if that's not good, let me take it to Matthew chapter 23, just in case somebody said that's Old Testament. Let me let you hear Jesus make clear that when I holler woe, it's not for you to think that that's just a moment to shout. It's a moment for you to give attention to the voice of God. Listen to Jesus. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 16. Woe, or verse 15, verse 14. Woe. To you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites because you have devoured widows houses even while for a pretense you make long prayers therefore you shall receive greater condemnation. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites because you travel about on a sea and land to make one proselyte while when he becomes one you make him twice as much as a son of hell as your Y'all didn't catch that. Let me, let me read that for you one more time because if you listen to that, you got to say, wow. Listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on a sea and land to make one proselyte. That just means to transform them or to convert them like you. And when he becomes your one, you have made him twice as much as a son of hell as yourself. All preceded by the word woe. Here we go, right here, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged. If that's not enough, listen to Jesus. He's going to take a little bit further. Verse 23, woe to you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, for you tithe a mint and a deal and a cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, but these are the things you should have done without neglecting others. So they were hollering, you should give to the church, but at the same time, they were not willing to give to justice and to fight for those who don't have a voice. Is Jesus trying to warn us that this woe, along with Isaiah and Jeremiah and now Jude, is a moment for us to listen because church is not always meant to shout but to warn you that you might get prepared for the spiritual battle that lies ahead. 
and be prepared for those who are out trying to destroy you that you have no clue of. This is where the supernatural element comes in where God will actually inform you by dream, by another person, by circumstance, by experience when folk are trying to harm you and you have no way of, no way of knowing and yet God will make it clear by giving you a warning, whoa, watch them, watch out, because they're not out for your best interests. They are actually trying to destroy you because they're not of me. See, listen to what Jude says. Jude says, he says, they're not of me. Instead, what they are doing, says the word, is they have adopted the way of Cain. And the way of Cain means that they are going to attempt to attack the salvation of God. Why? Because Cain, if you remember, verse 11, Cain, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 12, refused to embrace the blood sacrifice process. So you remember, when Cain and Abel came to bring their gifts, Abel's gift was embraced by God, but Cain became upset because he gave God second best. And when God said, hey, listen, don't be mad. You know, if you had brought me the first fruits of your field like Abel did, I would be receptive. But if you know you're doing the right thing, why are you getting mad? That's what amazes me about people. When they know they're wrong, you can tell they'll get mad and upset. When if you know you're right, just chill out. The way of Cain says that I'm not going to bring you the best that I have. I'm going to bring you what I want to bring you. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. And God is saying, I'm going to let you roll that process for a while. But keep in mind, my day is coming. In fact, you don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or if it's going to be the next five minutes. But just keep in mind, watch those who follow the way of Cain. Then he says, secondly, look at verse 11, not only the way of Cain, but watch those who follow after the gain of Balaam. You remember Balaam back in Genesis, uh, back in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. And Balaam was a brother whom the king hired because he was afraid that as the Israelites were growing and getting close to his territory, that they may try to take him over, which they had no intention of doing at all. So what he decided to do was hire Balaam to who actually sold himself out as a prophet. Now, Balaam is not a prophet. But Balaam ends up being a false prophet because he figured this is a good way for me to make an easy buck. This fool don't even know that I don't know anything about prophecy. But since he thinks that I know, I'm going to sell my service to him. Why? Because it helps me make a buck. Man, when I told you last Sunday, got to be careful about who come on television. You're watching who's telling you send me a thousand dollars right now and your life will change overnight. When they don't know anything about the word of God, nor do they have any intention of watching out for your soul why because they're following after the spirit of Balaam which means I can sell myself because there's some folk who are out there in the name of Christianity who will buy my services there it is right there in the text and there are some folk in church who will sell you their services in the name of the Lord Now, you might think different of me if I told you from this day forward, 
what I'm going to do is have a special offering plate, and that's going to be specifically for me. <laughs> and that offering plate is going to be, I'm going to sell you, because I've got this gift of blessings at different costs. So I got a $5 blessing, a $10 blessing, a $20 blessing, a $100 blessing. And for those of you who really want to see your life change within the next 24 hours, I got a $1,000 blessing for you, but I'm going to pass this plate around and I'm going to sell you my services. And believe it or not, some folk just might drop some money in the plate believing what I just told them. I ain't said nothing about scripture. I ain't said nothing about the Lord. I just said this is what I think the gift that I have and I'm going to sell it to you in the spirit of Balaam. And I only raise that point because Jude is trying to tell us as modern Christians, you have to be careful about this is the reason why I know some folk don't understand my ways, but I have a very protective spirit of who stands behind this desk because there are two reasons. Number one, I told you one from Ezekiel chapter 34, I think it is. I'm the one who's going to have to give an account for what happens behind this desk. Not you. That's not on your record. That's on the record of James Turner Murphy Jr. And number two, if someone comes up here and says the wrong thing and you don't discern it, then it's on me. And part of your trust in me as your pastor is to make sure, I just read it for you in the book of Jeremiah, whoever comes here to share in the word of God, that they're going to share from the word of God and not from some other book. Because I know preachers who prostitute themselves in the spirit of Balaam. And they can do that, but this ain't going to be their house of whores right here. This is going to be the house where God's word is preached. And that's my responsibility to make sure that happens. And Jude's trying to warn us. Be careful who you listen to in reference to the word of God because not everybody who claim they are a shepherd has your soul as best interest. They want to make a buck off of you. That's the spirit of Balaam. And then he says, look at verse, verse 11 so you can see I'm in the Bible. The spirit of Korah or Korah's rebellion. You go back and read the book of Numbers, chapter 16. That's where Korah, along with Babylon and Abatham, began to resist Moses' leadership because of the things that Moses says that they felt that they have a right to say as well. And I think I told you about that last week. And God had to summons them out of the tent of meetings that he might deal with them. The rejection and what Jude said is, you can tell those who are not of God because they always have a reason to resist leadership. They always got to fight. They always got to have their way, got to have their opinion known. Not remembering that you got a pastor or you got a leader in a ministry because you have entrusted that to that person to lead. And yet we're in this age, we're a part of this consumer age where everybody's opinion counts. No, everybody's opinion don't count. Because if I listened to everybody's opinion, I certainly wouldn't be a Christian. 
But there comes a moment when you have to decide if I'm going to follow God, I've got to trust that God's anointed person that he's given is the person who's going to lead me right. And if not, based on the word of God, I can call that person into question. And here it is. Jude says you got to watch them kind of folk because they are in the church. And then he takes verses 12 through 15 and gives us nothing but metaphors. Metaphors to define the characteristic of these false teachers. And I'm not going to go through all of them because I want you to read it. But listen to some of what he said. Look, look closely at verse 12. He says, these are those who are hidden rifts or reefs as some might pronounce it. You know what that means? They just naggers in the midst of your love feast. Here it is. When they come together to share what we call communion, in the first century it was called love feast because that's what it was, a love feast. You come and share together. When they come, nothing more irritating than everybody enjoying a good meal and somebody at the table got to come up with a conversation that's way over there totally opposite what we're talking about at the table. There it is right there. Look what he says. He says they are rifts in your love feast when they feast with you, watch this, without fear. In other words, Judas suggesting they already came to the table knowing I'm going to turn this mug upside down. They already knew it. They also already knew what would rub you the wrong way. They also knew how to feed into controversy to make it even more controversial. There it is right there, right there in the Bible. And look how Jude says, they care for themselves. And watch his metaphor. They are clouds without water. How do you have a cloud without water? That means they have no substance. Look at what he says. They are uh, carried along by the winds. That's a reversion to Paul's words in Ephesians 4 that you won't be carried about with every wind of doctrine. And if that's not bad enough, they are autumn trees without fruit. See the metaphor? They just standing there. Uh, to get a good picture, look out the window. Look at all them dead leaves hanging on these trees because it's changing of the season. But yet, Jude says, in their life, they go through the seasons and never change. No fruit ever come from their life. Why? Because they have no root in the kingdom of God. In fact, look how he defines them. Doubly dead without root. So Jude uses these metaphors in verse 12, 13, and 14. But he says in verse 15 that, again, God is going to handle that. But then he says in verse 16, this is the result of their behavior. This is the result of their effort, their motive, and their mission. They are grumblers finding fault. Man, you have been a part of a ministry, and no matter what you try to do for the kingdom, somebody in that group going to find fault with whichever direction you go. 
And it's the same person you never can satisfy them. They never can see where you're going. They never trust anything by faith. And worse than that, they have nothing to contribute to the effort. Just grumbling, 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 grumbling. Here it is right here. Following after their own lust, that's just not the way I see it. There it is. They speak arrogantly. Well, I mean, I could have done it much differently. Or here's that sly, slick way. I would have done it a whole lot differently. Well, you should have volunteered to do it in the first place then if you won't do it all that much differently. When we were searching for a chairperson, I, I, I want to leave, I just work. I want to leave, I just work. Now when someone's leading, you find fault at every turn that they take. Turning people off to a point where they don't want anything to do with a ministry because you are a part of that ministry. Now, somebody's spirit right now is going to take the opinion, well, I just won't be a part of nothing at all. Good. That tells me that you're not listening what I'm saying, and it also tells me you're not following the text. See, that's what people do when they don't want to hear the word. They start resisting, and then they come up with this excuse. Well, it's just not in my spirit. No, is it my season? Well, when is it your season to do the work of the Lord? You might want to read Titus, I think it is, 3 and 1. And it clearly tells us there is no season specifically, but every season is the gift of God to do the work of God by the grace of God because of the favor of God that the people of God might benefit from the word of God. Flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And then Jude says, in verse 17 and 18, he points, this is what you got to do. Here's how you handle evil. Here's how you handle false prophecy. Here's how you handle false prophets. You've got to remember this. You point them to the word of God. Don't waste time trying to debate. Don't waste trying time to rationalize. Point them to the scripture. If that's your base of your faith, point them to the scripture. Because the devil cannot handle the word of God. He don't care anything about your intelligence. He doesn't care anything about our ability to rationalize or to be intellectual. But what the devil can't handle is the scripture. Because that's the authority of God's divine truth. And what does Jude do? Jude tells us in verse 17 and 18, look at verse 17, but you, that, that, there's a specific reason why he says that, but you, child of God, but you, redeemed soul, but you, converted sinner, but you, gracefully received individual, but you who've seen the mercy of God, but you who understands the power of God, but you who walks in the spirit of God, you, you should be the one to remember that this is nothing more than the words that were spoken by the apostles of Jesus Christ. And what is it referring to? 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
I'm, I'm a believer of that. He is looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Remember what Paul says? Realize that in the last days, difficult times shall come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossipers, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures, rather than being lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid, says Paul, such men as these. Here it is right here in Jude. Same text. Look at verse 18. In the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. And these are the ones, look at what Jude said. I didn't say this. Before you leave out of here saying this is what Reverend Murphy said. Reverend Murphy said what the... See, we don't like to get at the root of a problem. We like to stay on surface because we are so sensitive. And we don't want to address the real issue. You know what the real issue is, and I know what the real issue is. And you know who it is. Always brings drama to the table. You know who ain't nothing but a contrary individual. You know who that is and what that is, but we don't like to face that. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. At the same time, we're driving people away from the church because there are some people who are not mature enough to understand why does people who say they love God act like that? And Jude says they cause division. There it is right there in verse 19. And they are worldly minded. I'm going to drop this line right here on you and I know you're probably not going to like it, but pray me through what I'm about to tell you, and then pray yourself through that you can receive it with thanksgiving. Are you ready for it? Stop trying to treat your church like you treat your job. Stop trying to bring what you do at work to your church. Remember, at your job, you do what he says do or she says do, and you're not going to rebut. You can turn your nose up, you can get mad, you can storm off, you can bite your tongue. You will do that. Why? Because you want to keep your job. But you won't do that at church. And that says to us, according to the word of God, you consider that more important than following after God or respecting the house of God when you come to serve. See, I don't... As your boss, I don't have to beg you to do work. I don't have to put it in the bulletin and then announce to you again and announce to you again to remind you what we've been doing for the last 19 years at the same time, every week, on the same day. I don't have to do that as your job. I tell you one time, maybe two. And that's if I don't write some sort of uh, disciplinary, you know, action upon you and then that's it but we think when we come to church the pastor should have to beg you to do something the leader should have to beg you to do something the church should have to beg you to do something 
Remember, you are not really serving the organization itself. You're serving the organism of who God is in the organization. That's why I shouldn't have to beg you to do X, Y, Z. If I asked you and you say I can't do a pass, cool in the gang, I got no problem with that. But then at the same time, don't complain if it don't go the way that you think it should go. Because you're not contributing to the success or the change. You're just simply doing nothing more than being contrary. Here it is right here. Worldly minded. Well, this is the way we, I don't, doesn't mean, I don't care how you're doing your job. Because the circumstance is, you know, I really believe, and then I got to hasten on, I really believe if God actually dealt with us the way that he did in the Old Testament, we would change our whole approach to how we do church. So when I gave direction, oh, let me phrase it from the Bible, number 16, when Moses gave direction, and Korah decided that he was going to rebel and let Moses know he just as much of a spiritual giant as he is. God had to come down and physically deal with Korah and Miriam, in which I told you when all was said and done, when God went back to glory, Miriam is left with leprosy and it takes Aaron to intercede on her behalf to get that leprosy out of her. What if God, every time that I tried to get you to do something and you decided to fight against the pastor. What if God came down and struck you with leprosy? Now, only if I'm right. If I'm wrong, I feel you. But if I'm right or if God, as he says in number 16, uh, most prophets I speak to by way of vision and dream, but to Moses, says the word, I'm talking mouth to mouth. What if God gave me instruction mouth to mouth and I tried to give it to you and you said, uh, uh-uh, I ain't doing it. He just wants to do it the way he wants to do it because he wants his own glory. And God came down and struck you with leprosy. Or God struck you with sickness. I'm here to tell you, he didn't stop in the Old Testament. He did it also in the New Testament. For when God had given the heart's desire to the apostolic individuals in the church to lead, read Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira decided that they wouldn't give fully to the work of God as they were instructed, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened when the Spirit of God showed up? Struck them both dead. I feel y'all getting a little nervous, so let me move on from that passage because that's a little rough for you. I, I feel you getting nervous. I, I, I feel you. That's, uh, remember what I told you earlier? Some passages are meant to make you feel uncomfortable. There it is right there, Acts chapter 5. It's meant to make you feel, don't play with the Holy Spirit and don't play with God. In fact, if God is leading, let the chips fall where they may. You just be obedient unto God. Here it is right here. Jude says that they're not only worldly-minded, but they are devoid of the Spirit. That means that they have no reverence for the Holy Spirit at all. In fact, they don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. They don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. 
because they operate out of their own fleshful gain. Yet Jude inspires us that there's a response. There's a response to these false intrusions who are trying to destroy and disturb your spiritual flow. Here it is right here. Three quick things. Number one, look what he says in verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, here it is, take, number one, an inward look. Take an inward look, says Jude. Look what he says. You, beloved, build yourself up on your most holy faith. Here's what I came to tell you. Here's what I'm trying to tell you every single Sunday. It's important that you know what convictions you have in reference to who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who the Word of God or what the Word of God is in your life. You've got to have a conviction of that lest you be led astray by anybody who tells you something about God. You got to have some conviction. And here, Jude says, build your conviction. And I'm here to tell you, I'm going to say the same thing over and over until I'm done. You cannot build your conviction without the Word of God. It's not going to happen. Not only that, but he says, build your character. Conviction is one thing, but character is another. And in order to live out that character, God has got to allow you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. And he's got to allow us to deal or interact or even be interrupted for periodically by people who are like these in Jews' analysis. So everybody ain't going to love Jesus like you love him. Some people are not going to want to know who Jesus is. Is that going to change your mind about how good God has been to you? Does that change your demeanor because you got to work with or live by or deal with that person whose personality is totally outside of what you expect of a human being? When I witnessed what happened in Charlottesville in the month of August, I said to myself, why should I continue to love a people who hate me? just because of the composition of my skin that I can't even change. But it's about my character. Because Jesus tells me in Matthew 5, I need you to live out your character because you are an influence. You are salt and light. And because you are salt, you have the power to influence and change the environment in which you come in contact with, and because you are light, you've got the influence to guide out of darkness. And that's going to come through my character. So i got to take an inward look at my own composition and then my commitment, my commitment to the things of God. Do you know how, I guess you've already discovered this, do you know how hard it is to live out this Bible? Oh, man, I thought all of y'all would have been shouting amen like I don't know what. It's not easy to live out. Listen, if we lived in a world or if I just lived in a, on a street, if when I left church and I went straight home, but my street, everybody on my street loved Jesus. In fact, there is no evil on my street. There's no hatred on my street. There's no lawlessness on my street. There's no ungodliness on my street. There's nothing but perfection. It'll be easy to live out the word. 
but I, I assume you know just like I know that that street just don't exist. But I have to go back. In fact, I ain't got to go back to my house. Just step out on the street right here where we in the church and it's totally different. And that's why I got to live out my commitment. And it's hard to live out your commitment when everything says to you is not worth it. Can I be real with you? You know like I know there's sometimes you, 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 you say in your heart, you ain't coming back here. You ain't coming back to this church. Why y'all got so quiet on me? I know I'm on your street. I know I'm on your street. What you, think? you don't think I'm that naive, do you? There's some people who just cannot handle it. It's hard to live out a commitment when nothing in the context to which you're committed suggests that you're doing the right thing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, you become more frustrated. You wonder, what am I, why am I wasting my time? I wonder that sometimes. I'm so grateful to each of you because all of you probably, in fact, 99% of you pass churches to come all the way to Zion Drive. And sometimes I kind of wonder, man, how much longer they're going to pass them churches. <laughs> People who live all the way in Woodbridge. I can come down the list how many churches we pass because I pass them as well. People who live in Springfield, people who live in Alexandria, people who live in Annandale, people who live here in Fairfax, the churches we pass every Sunday just to come to 10185 John Drive and still put up with the drama that we create from time to time. Can I get a witness in this house? But that says that you've made a commitment. There is something in you that says, I know it's troubling, but I do know that although there are often times when you come here, it's an enigma. You can't figure out what in the world is wrong with them crazy folk up there. But then there are other times when you come, there's a visitation of God's glory. And it's a time when the word of God says something to you. The choir says something to you. The prayer praise says something to you. The testimony says something to you. The atmosphere and the spirit does something to you. And you find yourself coming back with an expectation over and over and over again. Even though when you come back, it's not there. But there's a commitment level that makes you come back again and again. Because Jude says you have to take an inward look. Uh, and then, I'm not going to give you the other points. I'll give it to you some other time. And the inward look is I got to meditate on the word of God. Do you know what the word meditation means? It really means to saturate myself with the word. I'm covered. My mind is baptized in the word. Let me give you this analogy, and I thought it was cool when I found it, and I said to myself, I never really thought about it like this. Notice this. Let me show you how powerful the word is. David, when he faced Goliath, took five smooth stones in his slingshot with him, but he only used one to slay the giant. When you read Matthew 4, 
Jesus had the five books of Moses availed to him, but he only used one to handle the devil. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and 8 repeatedly and preferenced by the phrase, it is written. And that inward look tells me that as long as I'm allowing myself to become anointed by the word of God, no matter what false teacher, no matter what false prophet, no matter what false prophecy, the Spirit of God will give me discernment to let me know that that's not of God's Spirit right there. There's something wrong with that picture. You ever had that kind of feeling where you look at something, you hear something, you go, I, I don't know, that just don't quite, something's missing. That's God's Spirit telling you, a whole lot is missing. Check it out. Something doesn't quite add up. And that's what the word does. See, the word alerts me. That's why I understand me why I don't do cartwheels and roll through the floor when people are preaching. It's because I'm listening. And I'm not just listening for me. I'm listening for you. I'm listening for you because if something is said wrong and I have to get that preacher straight, I want to make sure I got my facts straight before I go to get him straight. So I'm not listening just for me. I'm listening for my congregation. Because each Sunday, this congregation relinquishes its spiritual heart to me. And I don't take that lightly. And because they do that, I have a responsibility to make sure that I don't allow anyone to bruise or to harm that heart. And so as your shepherd, I got to listen to make sure I ain't got nothing coming up in here that's wrong. Lest I have to address it. And I will address it if I have to. There it is right there in the text. Right there in the text. He says take an inward look. Oh I can't, I can't leave without this. And then take an upward look. See the next line. Clause B in verse 20. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this journey that we are a part of. Is supernatural. This is not a natural process. This is supernatural. This is where, says Jude, we are to watch and pray. Watching sights the enemy, but praying fights the enemy. See, watching, I see him. But praying, it's fighting against him. It's the power of God's word because I'm employing the supernatural. Watch this. Christianity is not only supernatural, but it's spiritual. Watch this. Its truths are preserved in a supernatural book, which in return has been revealed supernaturally to men who were inspired supernaturally by a supernatural being who is known as the Holy Spirit. It concerns a supernatural person who we know as the son of God who left his home on high to be incarnated supernaturally so that he might be both the son of God and the son of man. That amazing person lived a supernatural life and performed an astonishing number and variety of supernatural deeds. He died amidst an outburst of a supernatural phenomenon the sun was darkened, the graves burst open, 
the earthquake shook the ground and the temple veil was rent in two and the Roman soldiers were converted and confessed their faith. His body was preserved supernaturally from the ordinary process, corruption and decay and supernaturally he arose from the grid and appeared and disappeared at will until he ascended supernaturally into the heavens and supernaturally he's coming back again praying in the Holy Spirit and because Jesus is the only one who can live this perfect life it is his life that is imparted to us supernaturally by the Holy Spirit I I'm going to close at this point why this point is so important have you ever had them moments when you walk through that moment and then you go back and think about it and you say to yourself now you see if this had happened to me five years ago or 20 years ago, what I would have done, I would have read that person up and down. But because of a supernatural God who's made a supernatural visitation into your soul and now supernaturally lives on the inside of you, you can allow the supernatural God to handle your enemies and make them your footstool and you don't have to worry about naturally responding to them but you can supernaturally sit back and say God handle my dirty work because I don't have time to deal with this right now because your grace is so sufficient and your mercy is so everlasting and on top of that you've been too good for me to waste my time with this natural stuff that don't have any meaning at all Take an inward look and take an upward look. Because when God is working in your midst, no matter what the final warning is, I can handle whatever the enemy tries to throw at my path. That's for somebody this morning who came here dealing in a supernatural battle. And you're dealing with some folk and some stuff that you know that naturally, which means rationally, you can't seem to work it out. And that's those kind of things where you have to just relinquish to the supernatural God. And you say, Lord, you know what? You're going to have to work this out because I've gone my limits. And there ain't much more I can do. And because I know you make no mistakes. Well, old folks say, God don't make no mistakes. You handle this situation. And that's what God will do for you when you let that supernatural element of who God is handle all that you encounter in reference to falseness. Lord, I pray this morning.